It's only fucking advertising! Hello, everyone. We are back with another episode of It's Only Fucking Advertising. I'm your host, Aaron Starkman from Rethink. Hi there. Hello. How are you? You good? Hope you had a good summer. If you have kids, I hope that uh, they are all settled in at school and you're generally doing well in all the ways. Today's guest is Michelle Saint-Jacques. She is one of the most well-known CMOs in the world, deservedly so. She's led some phenomenal work throughout her career, in particular with Kraft Heinz and most recently with Molson Coors. And we're going to talk about some of that work and some tips and tricks that she has for other marketers and for agency folks too. So you'll notice that Michelle and I know each other. It's not We're not meeting for the first time. Uh, Molson Coors and Rethink work together on a bunch of their brands. Okay, so before we get into it, I just quickly want to thank Art Mullen and our executive producer and audio director, Ted Rosnick, and of course, Aaron Scott, and everyone over at Vapor Music. Okay, we're going to get into it. Here it is, a live in-person interview from Toronto, Canada with Michelle Saint-Jacques. It's only fucking advertising. I feel like you're you're wearing the Patagonia hat as a tease, by the way. As a what? Tease. What do you mean? Didn't I tell you that like if I could work for any brand in the world, it would be Patagonia? No. Okay. You never, you never told me that. So I. So, I feel like you're just like fuck you. You're not good enough. <laughs> so I. Uh, I love Patagonia. I basically have like nine or ten of the same hats that are basically this color palette, yeah. and they're truckers. And seven of them are Molson Canadian. Really? But then I thought... It was too on the nose? Well, somehow that became your thing. (gasps) So I'm like, oh, she's going to think I'm like doing her thing. But it's really my thing. Oh, so I stole your thing. Well, you were here first. I have like a ratty ass hat. You were like, you were the first. And I just have come in and stolen your your thunder. It's my thing. It is my thing. I'm sorry. Well, could you have questions? I basically do this, and they edit out all the ruffling of the papers. I love it. Art, can you hear me? Uh, mic check, one, two, one, two. Whoop, whoop, check it, check it. Okay, good. Okay. You sound much um, fancier on these earphones than in real life. Yeah, they put a, uh, a denasler on for me. Really? Because it sounds like your voice went down five octaves, there, and it sounds there, like rich and interesting. Does, do I sound that way? Is there a denasler, Art? Is that what's going on here? Or okay. do I have a denasler on? Does it make me sound better? You sound like you were like out <laughs> having a few drinks and doing karaoke last night. Well, accurate. <laughs> okay, the flight was good? The flight was great. Okay, good. Nothing like a 4 a.m. start. Your alarm was 4 a.m.? My alarm was 4 a.m. Got picked up at 4.30. Um, but it's all good. What time did you get to bed? Um, the karaoke did not go late. <laughs> the karaoke did not go late. Uh, so I was back in bed by like 11-ish. That's pretty good. Yeah, so I felt like it was a decent. You did five hours. Five hours, yeah. I got three and a half. Three and a half. Yeah. I got to bed at uh, like 3.30. Mm. Yeah. That's aggressive. Yeah. What were you doing till 3.30? Drinking mostly Canadians? I was in Mexico. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> right. You were in Mexico getting a concussion. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yes, wild yes. times. There was a, for uh, your wildest times. For yeah. our listeners, there was a water slide story before this, but we're not going to get into it. This is the MSJ podcast. Uh, this is another episode of uh, IOFA. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> okay. So we basically did this podcast a while back. 
when we went to that, we drove to the shoot. We did. And we were in the car for like an hour. Basically, and we just did, talked. We just did it. So, like, sorry if this is redundant. I'm it's gonna, totally I, fine. I'm gonna, I mean, it was nice that you finally wanted to meet me in real life <laughs> after working together for two years. So it was it was a nice start to the relationship. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it had nothing to do with COVID, but whatever. Totally, totally. Anyways, okay. So I'm going to ask you what I did in the car. You're from here? You're from you're from this country? I am from this country. So I was born in Montreal. I lived there till I was about 12. And then I moved to Toronto after that. And so I kind of did my formative high school <laughs> emotionally raged years in uh, Toronto. And then um, I've been all around ever since, to be honest. So I've, I, I moved to the States and then I've been global a couple of times and things like that. And... Brothers, sisters? I have two fantastic older brothers. Um, so Mark and Reed. I'm the youngest only girl, which explains a lot. Um, so you said we were basically the same. Can you imagine my sibling situation? Two older sisters. I'm the baby. Really? So you and I were vying for attention. Uh, I, like, I guess that's it. Totally. This is why we're the same. It is why they're the same. I always wanted to do everything my brothers could do. And... Um, they're still my best friends now, but I, I was always trying to chase after them and and prove to them that I could hang. When you were in your teens, mm. hanging out with your brothers, what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> when I grew up, have, I'm not sure if I have grown up yet, but um, you know, it was interesting. Like I, when I was a lot younger, I was quite into the arts and and you know. Singing and dancing and figure skating. I was, um, I was really quite girly looking back, which is kind of ironic. I was like all in sequins, you know, the whole shebang. And um, which again, like compared to what I look and dress like now, it's it's very funny. I mean, I've never worn a pair of high heels in in my life. MSJ for our listeners. MSJ is like motioning. She's like head nodding to her Miller. <laughs> Miller jacket, Miller jacket satin and jacket, fun, and funky shoes. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing aesthetically pleasing about my outfit in general. But um, that's badass. It's yeah, badass. It's so it's but, so yeah. badass. But yeah, so I was pretty into that kind of stuff growing up. But then I, I was, you know, I was one of those people in um, high school. Like, I loved school. I loved learning. Um, uh, I loved doing things. And so I did. Um, I was really into science and math. So I actually was pre-med for a couple of years. And so I thought I was going to be a doctor um, because that's what you did. If you were good at science and math, you would become a doctor. And so that was the path I was on when I when I went to college. And what changed for you? Why did you not do that? Yeah, so I think a couple of things. I, I realized that apparently there's some other uh, criteria of why one should become a doctor, like actually thinking that that sounded like a fun profession and or like wanting to save people. And and I certainly, <laughs> yeah, I'd like to save people. But like I looked around and I was like, I'm here because I like math and science and everyone else there was because they really wanted to be a doctor. And I don't even like blood. So there was like some <laughs> fundamental <I> issues think... <laughs> with this choice of mine. So I was like, this is probably not the right career path. And um, actually, um, one of the things that inspired me to get into marketing um, was my great aunt. So my great aunt, um, she's from Quebec. Her name is Madeleine Saint-Jacques. And um, she is this badass woman um, in advertising. So she started at Young and Rubicam um, 
I don't even know how many years ago. And she she started as a secretary, and then she worked her way up to become the chairman. Mm. Um, and, you know, Young and Rubicam was called Valet Saint-Jacques, Young and Rubicam, uh, because of my great-aunt Madeleine. And I remember I was living in Atlanta for my senior year of high school, and I was down in Atlanta, and I was sitting with her in the guest bedroom. And yeah. she was telling me stories about her life and her career. And I thought, I want to do that. So that's when I decided I was going to go into advertising. Um, and um, she's mm. still a huge inspiration because not only was she brilliant and smart and obviously incredibly uh, gifted at her job, but she was also a woman um, that made her way through the ranks at a time when that was not the norm. And I just have so much respect for her, the way that she did it with so much grace and intelligence and um I feel really, really lucky to have had someone like her to be able to look up to. It's the second time I heard a story like that on this podcast. A while back, Susan Creedle, who, who I know pretty well, I judge with her at Cannes, and she is the, uh, well, she leads she leads FCB yes. across the world. And that's her story. Really? Yeah. She was assistant secretary or something. So that's how she started. It's amazing. You know right. what? I saw her. I saw... Susan at this event in New York a couple of weeks ago, and I recognized her. Mm -hmm. And I walked up to her, and I tapped her on the shoulder, and I was like, I'm such a big fan. And, you know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> who does that as, like, an adult? Sometimes I—but I am. I mean, she's, I am she's incredible, and she's built such an incredible career. And so I literally, like, walked up to her, like, humbly, like, just trying to introduce myself. I was like, ah, I work in marketing, you know? Um, but I was pretty excited to, to have met her. She was really nice. Did you know she was in the same class at North Carolina as Michael Jordan? Oh, no. She did not in our quick five-minute introduction. That <laughs> factoid did not come out. So I'm a little bit, um, I'm a little disappointed well, now. that was a miss. Yes, <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> so back to your journey. Your aunts inspired you to take a different path. And can you just get into uh, what happened next and, uh, and where it happened? After you know, being inspired to completely shift my major from science and pre-med to business, mm -hmm. um, I decided I wanted to work in an advertising agency. And I um, worked at Cassette in Toronto um, <laughs> for two summers. I made a lot of photocopies. I did a lot of, you know, shenanigans, just like anything they asked me. I was like probably the most over-eager human to have ever walked in those doors. Like there was no job that was, you know, that was— not something that I was like, yes, let me go do that. What year is this? Is like 2000? This, this would have been, yeah, 99, 2000. So, um, and I just got the bug. And the first summer I worked more in account. And the second summer I worked in planning under Brent Nelson. And <laughs> I... Right, you mentioned, you yeah, mentioned him in I Miami. ran into him. Yeah. I ran into him in the subway like 20 years later, which was surreal. Um he definitely did not remember me, but I remembered him, and it was awesome. Was that a story about holding a door open? Yes, it was a story about <laughs> See, holding— See, I listened to you. You did listen. I can, I can, I can go through that story. But we, um, I worked the second summer in planning, and at the end of the summer, they actually asked—you know, I was graduating, and they asked me if I wanted to come back to the planning department. And I remember thinking, yes, this is what I want to do. I want to be a planner, but how can I be a planner when I've never— been on the other side. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go be a client, client, 
quote unquote, um, <laughs> for a couple of years, right? Understand what it's like to sit in that chair so I can better serve them, right, in that mm-hmm. role and understand the challenges they may have. And so I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'll go do this like brand management thing for a couple of years. That's the reason why you got into it. Yeah. Wow. It was to, to get a perspective. And mm. then I joined the other side and then the dark side, and I've been in it ever since. And so um, I still have like a, you know, um, unscratched itch about the agency side, but certainly I've loved being on the client side and it's been, um, you know, it's been 20 plus years. So apparently like, you know, it's taken me a while to understand what it's like to be on the side of the relationship. Then you went to SC Then I went to SC Johnson. Okay. So did SC Johnson provide you with a, a good foundation to start your career in marketing? Yeah. I mean, it was such a great place to start my career. It's an incredibly, it's a family owned company and those values are kind of like embedded in how the company operates. And so, you know, starting there in, I think, quite a nurturing environment, I was really like myself from day one, you know, and I, sometimes people ask me the question of, because I'm pretty comfortable being who I am and people will be like, Mm -hmm. you always like that. And then I remember, and I'm actually embarrassed about it a little bit, but like, I remember, um, walking around the the hallways of S.C. Johnson in pink bunny slippers. Like, it was just my thing. <laughs> and, like, like to the president knew that about me. And um, I worked on Pledge. Okay, you did that? 100% all the time. I don't know why. I just thought it was, like, funny and quirky, and I just wore them. And then I Love remember it. another, like, story. I was in the elevator with the president of the company, and I was working on Pledge. Um, like the furniture polish. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I um, pledge. You, you know, pledge. I got you, it. I'm sure you have some high gloss furniture <laughs> at your house. I've used some pledge. <laughs> and I was sitting there and I'm in the elevator with him and he's like, Michelle, I'm like, hey, Dave. And my phone, it was a flip phone at the time, right? Rang. Um, and at that time, like you had to download ringtones if you wanted a ringtone. And I swear to God, Queen, another one bites the dust comes on which I think is so funny because I made it my ringtone because I worked on Pledge. And he just looked at me and was like, well played. And I was like, hey, you got you to gotta live it. And so um, I was pretty comfortable there being myself. And I, and I think that that's honestly, it's a privilege that I was in an environment that I could be kind of my weird ass self and they didn't fire me immediately. <laughs> So you're there. So yes, I'm there. I'm bunny being my, slippers. Yeah, bunny slippers. Uh, another one bites the dust. Ringtone. Um, but I think that from a business perspective, I think that the most kind of foundational thing about that time is I like did a lot of different things. So I worked in sales um, as part of like my original rotation. I worked in um, really white space new product innovation, where you know they said basically, hey. Your goal is to come up with $50 million ideas we'll talk to in a year, you know? And so, like, yeah. some of that stuff was amazing. And then um, I also worked in Australia for a couple of years. And um, when I was in Sydney, I was in sales again. And one of the cool things was, you know, if you know anything about the Australian kind of retail landscape, there's two accounts, Woolworths and Coles, or Woolies and Coles, that make up, like, 80% of the sales. Mm-hmm. I worked on the other 20%. So, there was like 15 accounts. Nobody kind of really cared what I was doing in the sense of like what I did would never make or break the PL. But at the end of the day, anything I did that was good was just like the cherry on top, right? For the business. And so I had to kind of 
hustle and, like, figure out how to get people to pay attention to me and to Mm. care about my business problems and to, you know, get on board and get their attention. And it was a place where I actually could take a bunch of risks. Mm -hmm. And if they went well, it was, like, high fives. If they didn't go well, they were like, ah, it's okay. (laughs) Woolies, what have you done for me lately, you know? So um, that sense of experimentation and risk-taking— was really, really cool. So it was kind of like a jack-of-all-trades experience at SCJ, but it was one where I think a lot of the experiences I had really helped me as I got into my career. What else is different about Australia? And not in terms of living there, but just more just like the uh, the retail environment, yeah. the business world. It was a lot more old school, you know, especially the retailers. Like I remember coming into my first buyer meeting and, um, you know, I was like a little nerd. I had like all my data and analytics about how I was going to grow this retailer's shelf, you know, dollars for, for shelf. And so I came with all these recommendations, this data and these, you know, Excel spreadsheets. And the guy was sitting in front of me and I, I was working on RAID, like the insecticides. <laughs> yeah. So talk about like a sexy start. And so I was on RAID. Yeah, I've seen some funny, great ads yeah, for RAID. Totally, if you're just, if, totally. you, if you just straight up make it about the the, the murder. Yeah, yeah, the murder. The, the, yeah, the, the killing, if you're <laughs> the, into that the stuff. The killing. I've seen about, uh, I saw five ghost ads oh for God. RAID, for different like, bug killers at can at the same year and they all won. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. There was one where it was like, um, I'm an ad nerd, so sorry, I, I remember all these ads. There was one where the raid, I think it was raid, killed the bug. Dead? And, that's a, but, that's the, the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Killed it dead. And then it started to like, and ghosts, you know, with Patrick Swayze, the ghost started to kind of go up to the thing and then the ghost was like, you know, going up to heaven and then the raid killed the ghost. No! <laughs> and. There were savage, <laughs> and, and, there, and there were a couple of them. Wow, I kind of want to see them though. It sounds funny. It, it, what, it was. Was there a pottery wheel in you know, a la ghost style? There, you know, <laughs> there was no. There was no pottery wheel happening. I just saw that, Goldberg's. I just voice. saw that movie again. Um, but I was sitting there in this retail environment, and I remember coming in like again with all my Excel spreadsheets, all these ways that I was going to grow this buyer's shelf, and he literally was sitting with the competitors, like, you know hoodie jacket in front of me. And he was like, I don't want to see any of your numbers. This guy, like, you know, helps partner with me on X, Y, and Z. And it was just this whole thing about relationship building. Mm -hmm. So it, um, I remember, like, he wouldn't even talk to me at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then um, I realized that it wasn't going to just be about the numbers and the data. It was going to be about building this trust. And he needed me to build a partnership with him. And I remember when I left, we had become category captains, Mm -hmm. and it was a really big deal, but it was, like, hard. I mean, this guy was, like, old school, and I had to, like, work it. I had to be, like, you know, I had to charm. And you can imagine. Imagine how hard it is for me to charm anyone. I had to, like, charm this guy and then show him the data to try to really get him to, to hear how I could help him grow his sales. Does he now have pink bunny slippers? <laughs> I don't think I ever busted out the pink bunny slippers with him. I think that that would have guaranteed that I would never have been invited back it's, to his office. I was I asked about Australia because uh, we work with Australia. So we work with IKEA Australia. <gasps> of course. It is a different place. It is. It is a different it place. Is. They're great. They're awesome. But it's different. It's different. It's definitely but different. It was, but I think that that, you know, especially, you know, early in your career, um, I think getting all those different experiences just makes you more aware, you know? So whether it's working in a different country, whether it's working in a different function, like working in sales, I mean, I think it's priceless 
to sit in someone else's shoes. Mm -hmm. Because I think it makes you suddenly conscious that, you know, just because you want to do this, X, you have to think about it from their perspective or someone else's perspective of how it's going to help them. And I think those are some of the lessons that, you know, I've brought with me as I've gone through my career. Were there any major fuck-ups early on, whether at SC Johnson or shortly thereafter, that changed things for you in a in a good way? I ask because, uh, as you can imagine, I fuck up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and truthfully, that's how I grow and get better at what I do. The bigger the fuck-up, <laughs> the, the better I get, <laughs> Down, like long-term. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think for me, I mean— Let's let's just hope you're not like fucking up on any of my my brands anytime soon, Aaron. <laughs> let's let's keep it let's keep it on the up and up. But um, uh, note to self: let's note cancel to self. the presentation. Yeah, note to self: don't fuck up on Molson. You know the crown jewel of Canadian beer. Um, the fuck ups were early. Okay, by good, the way. Good. That's why no. I mentioned that because it's the it's the early fuck ups totally. that shape us. I think it's you know, and I think that's true. And I mean, the reality is like, if you're not messing up all the time, even now. You're, you're not trying hard enough, uh-huh. right? Yes, um, I love that. Things are never going to be perfect, and and I make mistakes all the time. Um, I think it's about how quickly you figure out that you made the mistake and what you do to fix it, you know, or what you do not to repeat it. And I think that actually, like, sometimes the challenge for people is the mindset that they're doing everything they can do to avoid fucking up mm. versus doing everything they can do to actually win or do something exceptional. And I think that fear stops people from honestly doing the best work that they can. I agree with that. I mean, you're describing a personality type. So I can ask this question. It's related. What do you see as the biggest asset for a marketer to have? I think it's about um, having a strong sense of intuition about what something can be. And I don't think it's about just like, um, I think what's important about intuition, it's not something that's just about blank paper, ah, like on a whim. It should be informed by an understanding of your brand. It should be informed by um, things that you've seen in the marketplace that have worked, right? Like it's it's an informed point of view so that when your gut says, hey, I think this is going to be great, it's because in your brain, all these like little connections are made that make you say, yes, this will work. I don't think it's just about like, I like something, I don't like it. But it is that feeling that you you can't really teach. You have to learn through experience. You do. And people like us need the experience, need to have a bit of a checklist just from learning. Like at Rethink, like I'm the way I am. And this color theory I was talking about before. Oh, boy. We got to do this, by the way. You and I are probably both, like, really yellow. You'll know what that means one day. I promise. I'm not going to get into it now. Yeah. Conceptual. And we're conceptual. We also have red in us, which is Sean is all red. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it's basically like, okay, I know this is a good idea. And the red is, we got to do it. We got to do it now. Yeah. 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 I actually do, now that you're talking about it, I have done some of those color pieces before, and I am very heavy yellow with my second, like, dominant is red. And guess what? Exactly. Exactly what I am. Again, twinsies. Right? Twinsies. Twinsies. Right. And maybe Joy has a lot of blue. Yeah. Which is you need on your team. Absolutely. Blue is is organized and 
you know, making sure that, you know what, we should make sure we don't, we if we do this, that the brewery yeah. doesn't shut down. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we need those people too, right? Those people are important. Breweries be- shutting down is not good, you know? But in the advertising world, for us, it's like, you know, yeah, people think like creativity is all like free and loose, but it's not it's just not. our agency. I think all agencies have you know, these checks and balances. For us, we do peer review and people have to look at it with a lens and it's it's structured. Totally. It's called crafts. It's a clear, relevant, achievable, fresh, true, shareable. Eventually, it bakes it in your head. Absolutely. And, but creatives are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they have that. 100%. In their head. And you as a marketer, I think I know it's about you. You really want to know, you know, dig into what the brand stands for. Yeah. And dig into what's going on in people's lives. Yeah. It's at that totally. confluence Where the magic happens. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think, like, when you start off in your career, you have the literal checklist. Like, you know, you have it printed out in front of you to remember as you're going into these meetings what to think about. I think as you go through your career, it kind of transitions to the mental checklist to then you don't even think about it as a checklist. You just feel it. Right. You know, you just know and you feel. And so, you know, when I— we do a lot of training at Molson Coors, too, about how do you identify what a great idea is. And and there's some principles that I think, no matter what, are the guiding principles of what I think drives great ideas. And it's to your point, like I always say, does that have cultural voltage? Will anyone give a shit? Will anyone ever talk about it? You know, and if it's only, no offense, ad age or ad week, it's not good enough. You right. know, we want like real people, not us people, <laughs> yeah. talking about it. Like you want your friends texting you. You want people, you know, there's nothing better than when you launch an idea and you see people you know in your networks, not, again, in the industry, who are like, ah, oh, did you see this? Because you're like, I hit. Like, I hit to the real people, yeah, to yeah. the people who are actually going to buy our brands. And then, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think to your point, the other big thing for me that's so critical is around making sure that we're being consistent and building a brand point of view that it's consistent. And I see a lot of times, you know, really great creative ideas. They get a lot of buzz. They get a lot of earned impression. But I don't know that they're doing anything for the brand. And I think you, Mm. for us, we always talk about, we want to build buzz and build the brand. And so we, that doesn't mean we don't want to go for those like home run, great creative ideas. But I want to make sure it makes sense why Coors Light is doing that idea. Why Miller Light is doing that idea. 100%. So that it actually like, you know, ultimately drives to sales and drives to people loving us more. Yeah. Uh, uh, Matthew, Matthew Bull, I owe you one here, but he kind of coined this. You talked about the mainstream press and you do this at Molson Coors. Our Kraft Heinz client does this. It's like these snack size stuff, stuff that gets a lot of uh, impressions, but really ties to the brand and building the brand. And Matthew, yep, here you go. This is your term. It's good. Headlines for bottom lines. Yes. That's a thing these days for not all marketers, but some marketers. And, you know, some really successful marketers who are making a lot of noise are doing this. You know, Fernando's one, you're another. And it's a thing. I have a question related to this. Yes. How do you get people on board with this this noisy approach, <laughs> you know, it could be kind of scary. You know, there's going to be a lot of eyeballs. Sometimes people aren't going to like it. 
what do you do when, I know this is not the case where you are now, but what do you do when there's a, a CEO or people above you, people below you who just don't, aren't into it? They're not into like crazy ideas that get lots of press and could sometimes ultimately be a little bit risky. Yeah, I mean, I think a couple things. So, you know, in my career, one of the things that I've worked a lot on are big, old brands, um, like iconic brands, brands that have stood the test of time. Um, Heinz, we can talk about that later because, you know, I'm still mad at you guys about bringing some brilliant ideas to the Canadian team after I left, you know, <laughs> a bit of a sore spot. But, uh, I, know, yeah, I do want to talk we about, talk about that. You've done great. No, you, you, no. you started that. So, no, but I think, yeah. you know, of course, Nina Patel is doing an incredible job on the Heinz brand and has done work that I'm incredibly jealous of, um, you know, with you guys. So, but, you know, I've worked on brands like Heinz, Kraft Mac and Cheese, Dove. Um, you know, I obviously work on Miller Lite, Coors Light now. So these are like big brands that have been around for a long time. And my belief is that it's not it's not an option to just keep doing what's been done for the past 20 years because our job is to drive relevancy with the next generation of lovers who are going to love these brands. And to do that, the game has totally changed. You know, our job is to actually um, get people to think and to connect with our brands. And to do that, it's not through paid eyeballs, you know, <laughs> on TV. And and yes, there's a time and place for some of that. So I'm, I'm yeah. not saying, you know, um, certainly like we do a lot in live sports and things of that nature for sure. But I think, you know, I always say to the team, nobody wakes up every morning being like, I wonder what Miller Lite's going to do today. You know, that doesn't happen. Our job is to do something that gets us noticed by those consumers in a way that's consistent with what our brand stands for. And so to me, the simple way you get people on board is that you prove that by doing that, you can drive results for the brand. You know, I think as a CMO, you know, your CFO should be your best friend. You know, our job is to show the value that we can create for the company through marketing, you know? So, and it, and it's not, and the, the, what's cool about now is before it was like theoretical, right? Like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to show you the value of creativity, right? I'm going to show you, but it was a little bit of a leap of faith. So like there was people who just believed like myself, like you, like people, right? Mm -hmm. Ah, but I, I know that this makes a difference, but you couldn't prove it. Now we can prove it through data. So like I literally go and say, hey, this is the stuff we're doing. This is how it's actually translating into sales. Now give me more money, right? You can't ask for a blank check, right? Because nobody's going to give it to you. You have to give, ask for the check, and then also deliver the value from it. And it's our job to do that. And I think that if you do that, and if you drive that credibility, and you also say when the things that you're doing like, hey, maybe that wasn't the best investment, you know, uh, try harder next time. That didn't work. I think it builds credibility within the organization to do it. But I, but I do fundamentally believe, you know, um, I don't have a job unless I'm building stronger brands and building a stronger business. That is what my job is to do. And I believe, and I know that creativity is one of the single biggest ways I can do that, right? Um, and so, 
what I try to do is to prove that so it becomes in dis- in irrefutable. Is that like the grown-up word? It's, irrefutable? It's, what is the word? You know, I said I'm not great at grammar. I think it's undeniable. Uh, yes, it's irrefutably undeniable. Oh, I like how you did that. Was the CFO at karaoke last night? The CFO was not at karaoke, <laughs> but she's like she's a, she's a pretty badass woman. I have no doubt she could rock some karaoke. Okay, so like, come on in, and we're, here comes the coffee. Oh my gosh! Thank goodness. Right. Thank you so much. Are you sure you don't want the Splenda? No, Splenda <laughs> is not my shtick. <laughs> I stick to aspartame only in Diet Coke. <laughs> thank you. So, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hold on, I'm gonna have a. Oh, that's some some good coffee. Nectar of the gods. Delicious. A little a little Molson in there would be fine, but. So, in terms of creativity, you know, transforming a business and really helping the bottom line, is there an example that comes to mind? I think one of the examples that I'm most proud of is um, what's been happening on Coors Light. So, when I started in this job, the number one ask job from, from my CEO was, Michelle, we need to turn around Coors Light. It's our biggest brand. It's declining mid-single digits, you know, so that's it's not good from a P&L perspective, obviously. And um, when I started, we were in this spot where, you know, Coors from the Rocky Mountains, all that kind of good stuff. And it was all about, like, just telling people we were cold. We're cold. We're cold. We're mm-hmm. triple cold filtered, hoopty hoopty hoo. And, <laughs> and, and all that is true and important as part of our DNA. But we hadn't yet connected it with why younger legal-age drinkers should care. What does it do for them? And so what we saw is, you know, again, you know, everyone who is 40-plus knew the brand, knew what it stood for, and younger people were like, yeah, it's just big beer. Mm -hmm. And a big thing we had to overcome was, how do we act nothing like big beer and get this sort of younger, you know, legal-age drinkers to reconsider this brand? And, And part of it was being was not ignoring that DNA, because that DNA is beautiful and brilliant mm-hmm. and has been many years in the making. But it was about reframing it in a way that would be relevant to young drinkers today. And so one of the things that we talked about was, you know, beer is often the brand that you see um, on rooftops in advertising and, <laughs> yeah. you know, and and in some, like, backyard barbecue. And and, and those things are, they're, they're just honestly... Younger folks just turn off. They're like, ah, it's just big beer, right? And and honestly, yeah. all the brands are then interchangeable. And what we felt like there was an opportunity for Coors to be the antithesis of that. And so we we identified this space around Made to Chill that actually, you know, Coors Light is the anecdote to a world that is always on. It's the brand that can actually give you a moment of refresh, both mind, body, and soul, right? Because we have this mountain cold refreshment. That's the the reason to believe, but it's not the reason to buy. The reason to buy is actually for that moment of when you sip a Coors Light and your shoulders go down and you have a visceral reaction. And so we had this strategic space, but then it was like, well, how do we do this in a way that a younger drinker is even going to pay attention to? And so as we launched the campaign, we actually broke every single rule, rule of beer advertising. So in beer advertising, I mean, you never show people drinking alone. You never show people at home. You never show 
a female for the love of God as the the main protagonist, not as an accessory, you know, in, or a background character. And we launched a series of spots under this Made to Chill platform. And, and my favorite one was the official beer of being done wearing your bra. <laughs> and it featured this woman coming home from work, kicking off her shoes, Band-Aid on the heel, uh, grabbing, pushing the wine out of the way, grabbing a Coors Light, taking off her bra, and just sitting back. And to me, it was the first time in focus groups you could see, like, the younger folks just, like, leaned forward. It was a different <laughs> feeling. Like, it was like they were like, oh, someone's talking to me like I'm an actual human and understanding my life. You know, and we had a series of different ones, uh, like the official beer of going to, going golfing just to drink beer, and they're, they're golfing one-handed. The official beer of, you know, drinking in the shower, which was like an ode to the fabulous shower beer. And I think that suddenly, and they were just shot in a way that was, like, really understated, and very non-big beer. Anti-anti-beer. Anti-big yeah, beer. Yeah. And and I think that through that positioning and through that approach, we saw like an immediate shift to the brand. And and then because the space was carved and so clear, we've been able to do so many different creative ideas from that and riffing from that space. And the results came, you know. Uh, it's incredible to me that in three years we went from those, you know, down mid single digits to last year growing in NSR, you know, and mm-hmm. um and and seeing the improvement in our marketing effectiveness and seeing the brand health improve. Like you you it's it's undeniable, <laughs> irrefutable in fact. <laughs> and I think that that to me is like the case study for us, at least at Molson Coors of the power of creativity. Yeah. And now people are like, well, this is this is working. Totally. This is working. More. Yeah. More. 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 All the brands, all the things yeah. Yeah. we want it. That's my favorite in that amazing campaign is the bra, yeah, the bra. The bra commercial. And uh, it has a good Jesus detail. Good Jesus detail. Am I allowed to say yeah. what a Jesus detail is? Yeah. You totally can. Yeah. So the Band-Aid is a, is a Jesus detail. Yeah. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not about Jesus. I think it's about like— Big Lebowski. Yeah. It's about, yeah. It's about Jesus in the Big Lebowski. Yeah. <laughs> And then finding those moments that people look at, and it's like the tiny twinkle. And, you know, it can be unnoticed. Mm-hmm. But for the people who notice it, it's like a totally, you know, my favorite thing when we launched that campaign is everyone kept being like, that's so me, that's so you, that's so us. Mm-hmm. And that idea that, like, people see themselves in the creative, uh, but not in an obvious way, like, Anyone's going to be on a rooftop. <laughs> That's not interesting. It's the I get so angry with rooftop. Yeah, with rooftop. I, I have a thing against rooftop too. It's and just. Uh, I think the idea of you've seen me. I mean, we can talk about the Molson work we just did. Mm. Um, that's launching as we speak, and I think it has that as well. This idea of you see me in mm. it from a, a very Canadian point of view. Yeah, but even on the Coors platform, like I think. What's interesting now is just the different ways that you can take it. You know, I remember in the pandemic, it was March at the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, remember that, the beginning? I remember I remember having like a 30-day plan. Apparently, it was a little longer than that. That's when I talked to Fernando. Yeah. I talked to him right when we both put out those all-staff emails. It's like, hey, everyone, there's some stuff going on. Yeah, there's some things happening. Here's our policy. (laughs) Well, this this is a crazy true story. So I'll give you some like insider scooper and you'll love this. Okay. Um, so, you know, we have this big conference every year called MCDC, sure. you know, with our distributor network, who mm-hmm. are obviously really important to us. And we we showcase our creative. And so we had just had that February. 
And one of the pieces of the creative was for March Madness that year mm-hmm. for Coors. And, like, it was one that they were all like, yeah, like, you know, rounds of applause. Like, people were really excited about it. It was taking me to chill to the next level. Yeah. And it literally, for March Madness of 2020, the creative was the official beer of, quote, unquote, working from home. And it was for March Madness, and it was showing all these people who were, like, saying they were working from home, but were obviously at the bar and, you know, drinking beers and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Which is hilarious in the normal March Madness context. Except for when, like, the world is literally shutting down and everyone's being forced to work from home because there's a ravaging pandemic that's going across the country. And so we pulled that before we launched it, which was probably a good decision. And uh, But it was— it was a fun exercise to to try to figure out, um, or an interesting exercise to try to figure out what is the role of beer in that moment. And so I remember even in that that moment, we were trying to say, well, you know, what is our job right now? Because at the end of the day, we are not, you know, PPE. We are not toilet paper. We are not, you know, we're beer. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that happened was this, like, massive gift, which was this 94-year-old woman— named Olive, who posted a picture um, or who was photographed and her daughter posted a picture of her with a sign in her window that said, I need more beer, yeah. holding a Coors Light. <laughs> Do you remember this? And Olive went viral because she was adorable and, like, it was such a pandemic kind of picture. And so, of course, like any good person, we we got beer to Olive because— just by definition, she deserved it. And we posted a picture because people were going crazy for her <laughs> of delivering the beer. And then all these people started spoofing it, yeah. like spoofing her picture, saying, I need beer too, I need beer too. And we suddenly realized that our role in that moment was to get America beer because, <laughs> you know, everyone had that same feeling of like, I just need a break right now. And so when you think about Coors Light being a brand that's to refresh your spirit— Sometimes that's the end of a hard day, taking off your bra. And sometimes that's like, we're in the middle of a freaking pandemic. Storm, yeah. yeah, like, give me something to smile. And so we launched this piece of creative. And everyone else at the time was doing the, like, piano music and all that kind of stuff was pretty— It was all um, in these challenging yeah, times. we're here for you. We're here for you. We care. And, and we launched a piece of creative, which was called America Could Use a Beer— And it was literally talking about how in all of the hard times in America, beer has come in to help. (laughs) And we had Paul Giamatti be the voiceover. He he recorded it in his—I think it was in his bathroom, like, on his phone. Because, you know, it was at the time when production was, like, a hot mess. Nobody knew what to do. And um, But the creative was so spot on tonally because it was like, hey, listen, I think the line was— we know we're not going to solve this thing, but how would you like some free beer? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was so—and then, you know, we asked people to tag someone who could use a beer. And I remember the night before we launched, I was, like, freaking out. Like, every—I always feel like there's there's a correlation between how much my stomach hurts the day before we launched New Creative and how great it is. Like nervousness? Yeah, yeah. just nervousness because yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh, everyone else is, like, being quite serious and we're about to launch this thing that is— mm-hmm. It wasn't lighthearted, but tonally it was very, very different. Very different. And, but it felt so right and it felt so self aware because our job at that moment wasn't to, you know, our job at the moment was to give people a moment of relief, you know? And so we did it. My stomach hurt. We <laughs> did it anyways. And it was brilliant. And the response was fantastic. And I think it was just a great example of like, how if you get the positioning right and the the direction right, you can really flex 
no matter what the scenario is that's in front of you. I mean, at the end of the day, do people want to hang out with that brand, as you yeah. were saying? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, how you, that's how your friends would talk. Totally. Um, did you see Sideways? I did see Sideways. Merlot. <laughs> no Merlot, right? Uh, My husband, you know, he, is ironically a, a sommelier. Yes. So, yeah. which is, you know, as you can imagine, our fridge is stocked with all things at all times. Yeah. Um, but yes, we've watched that movie quite a few times. I think it started the wine craze. Totally. Yeah. And like, Paul Giamatti, like I remember again in the script, we ha- I had a lot of arguments with the agency because they had, <laughs> they had the line, suck you know, this is sucky, suck, suck, suckiness in this. And I was like, do we say sucky? Like, is that a word that we say? Is that like going to come off weird? You know, and and we had all these debates and they tried different words and they were sucky actually. And, um, (laughs) but it was through the delivery of only Paul Giamatti can say this sucks in a way that would feel totally authentic. Yeah, It was right yeah. in the moment. It was right from him. It was good. I actually took note when, when that happened. I'm like, yeah, I, I had the same feeling that you did. It's like, yeah, that's because I, as a creative director, I deal with that. Yeah, you can't say sucks. And then when I saw that, it's like, perfect. Totally. Totally perfect. But that was where like yeah. trust in the agency, I think, is so important mm-hmm. because like, Honestly, when they first presented it to me I, or to the to me and the team, I was like, love it, hate the word sucky, you know? And they were like, okay. And then the next time it came back, still had sucky in it. I was like, love it. What are our alts to sucky, you know? And yeah. then they were like, well, we think it's going to work. And, and they were like, you know, we're going to record it. And then I heard it. I was like, yeah, you were right. It's, <laughs> it's really, really good. Well done, you guys. You know, and that's why. They, they had some alts. Did you listen to the alts? I, I don't think they ever, I don't think I ever listened to the alts. I think they I, just, when I, they brought it, I was like, you guys were totally right. And that's why you're our partners and you're better at this decision than I am. I love that. They probably did have some alts. And I love that you never asked to hear them. No, because they were, they totally nailed it. At the same time you were doing that, it's funny. We were faced with the same dilemma and we did the peer review thing. Like, is it okay to have people smile or laugh? And it was um that thing for Heinz, the puzzle. It right? So good. It was but it so was like good. but we were like, I was I was so nervous. So so nervous. The peer review made me less nervous because it was like, you know, thirty eight out of forty people were like yeah, yeah, you know, we have to do this, even though everyone's doing the, in these challenging times, yeah. we're here for you. But you know what? It's just... But your ketchup, it's, right? It's like your ketchup. ketchup. It's and ketchup. It's a beautiful, it's the only ketchup, right? And it's beer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that when I saw the Heinz puzzle came out, again, I think it's just like a perfect example of the intersection between, you know, the brand, what it stands for, you know, obviously the DNA of the brand and what was happening in culture at the moment, right? And I saw that, and again, that was an example of, like, I saw that. I was like, that's really, really smart, and I'm very jealous of it, and I love that. I love these moments. I'm going to tell you about a moment, and then you tell me if you got one. Like, when you're flipped an email and you go, oh, that is a home run, and I'm scared. But I remember when I got that, it was an email. It was from Zach and Jeff, a great creative team at Rethink, and they flipped something to Mike, and Mike flipped it to me, (laughs) and I'm like, <gasps> I felt all the things. All the things. All the, all things. the big feelings all as we describe big, them All at the home. big yeah. feelings. You have an example yes. like that where you just saw an image. No bullshit yeah. right up. I'm going to see your image and I'm going to 
raise you a text message. Love it. So um, when I was at Kraft Heinz, I was working on the Heinz brand, and I got a text message from Anselmo, um, <laughs> who was at the time at David, obviously at yeah. Gut Now. And um, his text message was like, how do you want to get, how would you feel about getting Don Draper his first can lion? I'm so, I'm so happy we're talking about yeah. this. Okay, good. Literally on text message. And I was like, what do you mean? And he sends me the creative for Past the Hines, like just the, the, the part of the TV show. And he was like, let's do this. Did you see that episode or that was the first? No, okay. I, I hadn't seen it. Okay. Um, and my response, and I remember it so clearly, I was like, yes, we have to do it. How much is this thing going to cost me? <laughs> like, that's literally like, it was like, it's not a question of if, it's a matter of like, tell me how, is this going to be insane? How are we going to get this to happen? And and it was via text messages. There was a video clip and that was it. And actually, the even more fun part of the story is it took us another year to actually do it because you know, getting mm. approvals and and oh my God. timing and all that kind of stuff. I would have thought it was, you know, no, bang, we, bang. No, because we had to, to get it approved. And so, like, literally we'd be doing other things and then, like, you know, David would come back or, like, and someone would be like, don't forget about this one, you know, and I'd be like, yeah, 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 we'll get to it, you know, and then, and then we did it. And obviously, like, I thought it was such a smart idea, again, of there was something was just there. To your point, it was mm-hmm. like sitting there. Mm-hmm. Nobody had done it before, which you look back, the best creative ideas, you look back and be like, why isn't anyone doing this? Like, mm-hmm. why did no one do this? Uh-huh. And um, and and we launched it, and um, it got so much excitement from, like, not only lovers of the show, but just, you know, just, I think, for its simplicity from a creative idea. Yeah. Um, but it was via text, you know. And, and again, you know, I'm sure uh, my friends, my old friends from David will be like, yeah, there was like a year of us figuring it out after, you know, and, and getting it done, which is true. But like the visceral, oh, my God, yeah. we have to do that was was immediate. Yeah, I remember uh, seeing, hearing about that and being like, oh, so jealous. Yeah. And, and we got him his first can lion. Like we literally, it. you know, in it. the credits, we had Don Draper's name, you know. And so like at Can that year when we were there and— I don't even remember. I don't even know. Like one stuff. And it was like one of the ones where you yeah, go yeah, up to it's the one stage. Of the one, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And like they like called out Don Draper in the agency, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was just like, this is so, this is meta. This is like real weird. But it was um, just like a cool moment to see what, what can start as a text message and end up, you know, literally getting a fictional character an award. Anything else during your time at Heinz stand yeah. out? I mean, I think... For sure, one of the things, um, one of the biggest experiences was my first Super Bowl ad, um, mm-hmm. and and similar to what we were just talking about on 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 the Mad Men idea, you know, I was really nervous. Like Super Bowl is this weird thing, right? Where it it's like thing. you feel like ever, there's so much pressure on doing something remarkable, and um, you know, it's the time when like you know. <laughs> everyone else outside of our industry really cares about ads, right? Yeah. And so, like, it's, like, this weird, like, moment where, you know, your mom, your dad, like, everyone's like, hey, what are you doing over there? And so <laughs> it was my first Super Bowl ad, um, and we were doing it for Heinz, and um, 
I remember we had, we had extended Heinz into some new categories, like uh, not lemonade. That'd be, that'd be a very weird extension. We had that idea. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you would. Uh, but into mustard, into barbecue sauce, and things like that. And yeah. so we were trying, and we had organic, and we were trying to make people realize there was more than just you know the iconic regular ketchup. And so um, the brief was great taste runs in the family. Um, was the the idea. We mm-hmm. wanted to land taste and we wanted to land the fact that there was, you know, more than one product. Yeah. And again, you know, I remember sitting in the first creative review with David at the time too. And um, they presented the first idea. You know, it was, it was interesting. Yeah. They presented the second idea. It was like, interesting. Um, but they had, they had teed it up saying, the thing about Super Bowl is less talking, more visuals. Like do something really simple that's going to, you know, captures people's imaginations and really lets them lean in. And they were like, so the third idea we have, this is true. They were like, it's called Wiener Stampede. (laughs) And I remember like being like leaning forward, being like, tell me more, (laughs) you know, tell me more about said Wiener Stampede. And they were like, so imagine just a bunch of wiener dogs dressed up like hot dogs running down epically this hill towards a family of Heinz products. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And I was working with this woman named Jess Ryan, who's who's brilliant. And um, I still at Kraft Heinz. And we looked at each other. We're like, yeah, wiener dogs, wiener dogs. Yeah, this works. You know, wiener stampede. And it was it was because through the, the storytelling, they were like, we can just make this magical and land the love and desire. But what was actually interesting about the, the creative spot, originally it was not as it ended. Uh, originally, it was going to be a little bit more like, imagine Braveheart. Like, imagine, like, mm. intensity with music, intensity mm-hmm. of these wiener dogs, which yeah. sounds ridiculous, running down this hill. And you don't really know what's going to happen, and it would end with this, you know, moment of love. So and kind then, of like a misdirect. Total, yeah, yeah. Totally a misdirect. And so we had tested it and done all our stuff. Like, again, I was, like, nervous and tested really, really well, and we knew which scenes were the most compelling scenes. And, you know, so we go down to South Africa to to film the spot, which is terrifying by design because, you know, they had done a pre-test of these wiener dogs. And and I remember the director showing me them. Um, and, like, you know, we, watching wiener dogs run is not magical. Like, it's actually, like, really not epic. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit, this is going to be terrible. And then he showed me them in slow motion. I was like, oh, shit, this is going to be awesome, you know? Um, but he was like, so I was messing around yesterday with these wiener dogs and like, you know, practicing to get the, the, the right context and stuff. And he's like, and I just started putting it to different music. And um, he was going down through his music list. And, mm-hmm. and the first band, on, you know, was ABBA. Because A, B, you know, like it's probably right. not many brands that are Let gonna... me guess the song. Yeah. Winner Take It All. Yes! <laughs> are you serious? Have we talked about this? No. But, are you serious? But it was the wiener. No, because, it was the wiener takes it all. Get it? The wiener <laughs> takes it all. Were they going to redo it? Well, so we so he put it to that song. Yeah. And it changed the entire vibe of the spot. Yeah. And I remember we all looked at each other. We we're like, we have to shoot this spot, which was like different than what we tested, different than the you know what we'd signed off on this like budget. I'd never spent this much money on an ad before. Mm-hmm. And so we shot that spot as a love story. And we couldn't, unfortunately, license the the song, but we decided that tonality of— I guess that song, because of all the ABBA songs, that's closest to what I saw. Totally. I can't live without you, right? Right. And so we ended up—you know, I think that the team we went through, we listened to like 200 different songs before we landed on— I uh, can't live without you. 
But it changed the whole thing. And I remember being, like, so pumped about it. <laughs> and then I remember, you know, like, flying back from South Africa, you stop in London, right? And sure. I'm in London. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is great. And then I had sheer panic because I was like, oh, my God. We shot a different spot to what, like, it was It was not the same as what we had intended did from it, the pre-pro. Did, did something go through the quantilator? No. At an animatic? No, it had gone through, like, testing, though, you know, and, like, I didn't get some of the scenes that were, like, the big scenes from testing. Mm -hmm. And I remember being like, oh, shit, like, what if, you know, I'm coming back with this totally different thing, and what if, you know, my boss or, you know, my boss's boss, you know, hates it? And I remember being, like, that moment of, like, panic, being like, oh, my God, what did I just do? Mm -hmm. And uh, because you're in the bubble, right? Like, you're in the production bubble of, like, this is right, and then— And and I came back and I remember talking to my boss Eduardo, um, who's a great guy. And we, I I was like, hey, we we shot something slightly different. And he was just like, I totally trust you. If you think it was right, I'm sure it's going to be right. And then he saw it. And he was like, it's awesome, <laughs> you know. And I was like, thank God, live live <laughs> live to to film another day. But it was one of the ones where like it was such a great moment because um, I was really nervous about it. And I think it showed me at that moment the power of you know, taking your shot, right? Mm. And um, and it obviously paid off. Like, it was a really beloved spot. I'm really proud of that spot. But equally, um, it was a moment where, like, I feel like creatively we took a big risk and it absolutely paid off. And I think that that was the catalyst that changed my point of view on, on building brands and what we were going to do moving forward. Mm, that was the thing, huh? That was the thing. Wiener Dogs. Who Wiener knew? Dog. Wiener Dogs was going to change everything. Yeah. Interesting. We are living parallel lives. Around the same time you were doing, uh, you're Dogs. doing a spot with animals as the star, lots and lots of animals as the star, and a change in music plans being part of that journey. That exact shit happened to me at the exact time. Really? Yeah, we were in Spain doing something for our client, a Canadian airline, WestJet. And is it the holiday spot? No. This was cattle. This, okay. this was yeah. a spot called Cattle, and we were taking a shot at their competitor, how <laughs> treats their passengers like cattle. So that was that, subtle, subtle. Well, the spot was basically, <laughs> you know, hundreds of cows basically instead. So it was a filled airport, and they were just basically, you know, replace people with cattle, and they were pe- treated like cattle. The music thing, so funny on set we were always going to do a track that was going to be a lot like hall of the mountain king yep but not that and then we heard something on the radio and we just kept playing it as we were watching like the cattle going through security and it was blue monday right yeah and it was like how does it feel to treat me and it worked and it works and it works so that's what happened those are the moments yeah that's what happened with you and i when we were at our first shoot during our first meeting at is a vibe. Remember, we were playing that song. That was yeah. throughout the entire shoot, yeah. and then you guys were like, "Don't you just want to pay a little bit more for this song?" <laughs> and I was like, "I think I just got bamboozled." But yes, we should use this music absolutely. I don't think you got bamboozled. It was. I think it was the. I think it was the director's call, and it was a good track. It was a great track, but it is because you just saw it. You felt <laughs> it, right? It became the anthemic version of what this should be, and so sometimes you know you gotta pay a little dollars for it. Yeah. Uh, there was a great moment that happened. I was experiencing a little vibe moment well after that shoot. And I was in Florida still. I was in a, uh, a Cuban sandwich shop in Miami. And, you know, there was like a TV, like an old school TV, like the boxy kind that yeah. was up on the wall. 
and the spot came on. No way. Yeah, no, but I didn't really know until I heard Julian's voice. Julian is a planner at our agency, and his it's ended up being his voice on the spot. So cost savings. <laughs> no, I think it was one of the. It's I'm one joking. of those where we did like casting. It's like oh, that demo read was really good. It happens yeah. all the yeah. time. But I heard Julian's voice, and there it was. I was. Like, it's got a vibe. Yeah, it's man. got a vibe. Yeah, and I was great. in a vibed out moment. There was the spot. Where to next? Where to next? I mean, what's in you that you think you can, I guess, lead the way, pass down to others? Something that you know, like it's kind of. It's the some, MSJ-ness. What's my yeah, thing? Yeah, what's the like? What's the thing? What's like the organizing idea behind <laughs> behind you? And that's my brand purpose. What's my triangle? What's the why? MSJ, what is the why? What is the why? I should have said that with an English yeah. accent. I think, you know, um, look, the reality is I never think I'm the smartest person in the room. Um, I work really, really, really hard. And um, I always have, and I have a lot of passion and love for what I do, which I think has helped me be very successful um, or like moderately successful in my career so far. Um, but I think... If I were to say, like, the thing that I hope I can, like, impart or um, I can help others with is just really leaning into who you are. You know, I am not—I am not corporate. I am not—I I mean, I literally—my high school quote was, laugh now, one day I'll be in charge. And, like, <laughs> you know, I remember even when I when I was talking— That was your high school quote? Yeah, that was my high school quote. Oh. I knew. I knew it was coming. Oh, I love and it. And I remember, like, even when I interviewed at Molson Coors, I was worried about the culture and was it was going to be too conservative for for who I am. And I was, like, you know, just talking to the recruiter. I was like, ah, like, I swear a lot. I never dress up. Like, I don't even brush my hair sometimes. And I was like, you know, I've got tattoos and I have a nose ring and, like, all this stuff. And I was like, I don't know if I'm what they want. And And literally they were like, you know, Gavin, the CEO— wants a really brilliant marketer. And I was like, okay, well, I hope I'm that, you know? And so, um, but I do think that sense of self um, and not trying to be something you're not, it's probably why, you know, we laugh because we've you've chatted about this podcast with me before <laughs> and I've been reluctant because I don't do this stuff because I get really awkward about it. And I'm I'm not someone who's necessarily comfortable with, with attention like that. But I think... Part of what I hope, especially for, you know, women, but but in general, like, I just hope that people realize you can be a lot of different things and still be really successful in your career. Um, and that there's no one way or no one approach or perspective you have to be to be successful. I'll, I'll give you an example, and then I'll—sorry, I'm going on too long, but— No, no, no. Um, there was a couple of women on my team, young women, brilliant women, um, who were on some leadership— course. And um, one of my most proud moments of this past year was they were on this leadership course and and they were, you know, being told, okay, well, you know, I, I don't know why they were talking about this, but the person who was the external speaker was saying like, you know, you have a mask at the office and you have to, you know, present yourself in a certain way and whatever. And they both like went to town on this guy and said, that's not how we are, <laughs> not how we are at Molson Coors. Our CMO wants us to be us. She wants us to be whoever we are, however we are, whenever we're being it. And, um, like, they told me that, and I, I literally have never been so pumped. 
I love so it. proud because I was like, if they get the confidence to to feel that for even a second, even a second, anything, if they have the confidence to wear their pink bunny slippers, <laughs> honestly, like, imagine how unstoppable they would be, you know, if somebody didn't t- try to take those bunny slippers away from them and let them be them. And I think that that is what I hope I can be a poster child for someone to maybe um, to unlock their inner bunny slippers, you know? Mm. Especially because I have to go pee again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go go pee. I do too for some reason. It's the coffee. Okay, yeah. two more minutes. Yeah, I do too. And then we're going to wrap it up. Yeah, inspiring uh, answer. I'm sorry. We're, I can- we're, we got like six minutes left. In any of your roles throughout your career, was there ever a really challenging start, whether it be a, you know, first month, first year, whatever? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I I laugh because um, I have the world's best first day story in the history of rock and roll. <laughs> Go on record, nobody will ever... I, I think, beat this as a first day. <laughs> Let's hear it. Um, so when I started at Molson Coors, it's my first CMO job. So it's a big it's a big deal, right? Like, uh, I've been working towards this my my whole life. I was super excited. Couldn't believe I was lucky enough to, to take this job. And um, I was starting uh, the day after Super Bowl. And um, I still remember because I was like so I was like so sweet and innocent. It was like 3 p.m. <laughs> on that day, and I like wrote you know like the like LinkedIn post that you do on you know right. I'm about to start like you know <laughs> it's Miller time like can't wait day zero it's gonna be great you know yeah. like just like the the normal kind of like pump me up or pump pump me up pump everyone up maybe yeah. uh, email and I like post at like three o'clock and then that night I remember we we're at friend's house we we're watching the Super Bowl. And um, <laughs> and ABI, um, obviously our, our single biggest competitor, Bud Light, took out um, three ads in the Super Bowl um, directly going after Miller Light and Coors Light. And when I mean directly going after Miller Light and Coors Light, calling us out, they made a fake ice castle, which I appreciated the attention to detail, to be fair, but yeah. um, a fake ice castle for Coors Light, you know. Uh, and they t- did it in the, what was it, in the, like, the, the... The medieval times. The medieval it was, times Yeah, it was, deal. like, under um, their whole platform that they had at the time about the night, et cetera. And yeah. they literally took out three Super Bowl spots to call out us, the number two, number three brands in the category, as the number one brand in the category, which is, like, kind of unheard of about... Um, our ingredients, and to be honest, our beer is fantastic. Such high quality ingredients, and we love it. What did it. they? Uh, I know what they said, but just for yeah. know, clarity for the listeners, what what, what yeah. were they? Yeah, saying? they were calling. They were they were pushing on the idea that we had corn syrup in our beer, um, which yeah. um, to be fair is not not accurate. It's used in the brewing process, hoop to hoop, which was like my first question to like the the minute I saw these ads, I was like. Somebody tell me how beer is made. Like, you know, <laughs> what ingredients do we use? Because I didn't even know, right? Like, I was like, you know, I hadn't even started. And so I was like, walk me through. How do we make beer? Like, step one, I'm Michelle. Step two, tell me how we make beer, you know? Um, but it was like, you know, it was a crazy assault. I mean, think about how much money they spent, you know, with these messages in the Super Bowl 
plat, uh, Super Bowl space, you know, with eyeballs everywhere. And, and that was the day before I started. So I walk in day one, like, to a group of people who I don't know being like, hey, I'm Michelle. We need a fucking plan, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. in terms of what we're doing. And, and to Did be— Did you probably already had a plan? Yeah. But, like, you know, that Mike Tyson, you've probably yeah, seen that yeah, in Dex. Yeah. Every, oh, yeah. Everyone has a plan. Plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah, and yeah. literally, I had, like, my 30-, 60, 90-day plan I'd written out. It was all ready to go, and I had to be like, uh, yeah, I think we're going to have to reframe this. Yeah. <laughs> and luckily, there was, like, amazing people on the team, you know, Ryan Rice, uh, Anoop Shaw, Courtney Benedict, people who, you know— knew the brands and and knew what they wanted to do and and had really clear points of view on on you know how how our brands should react in this moment and a great comms team and stuff like that but literally came in day 1 and was like you know okay we need we need a plan we need to first explain how we make beer right uh so that we can explain to all these people who've just seen this um the truth and our approach to to make a beer and then it was like and we need to like lean into what we stand for, which is around taste and refreshment. And so we so created this whole structure for us to think about. But again, you know, day one, I remember I had like an Excel spreadsheet of like, who are you? Okay, cool. You know, <laughs> and then I remember this is such a true story. So DDB was our partner on Miller Lite. And um I walked into a meeting and it was Courtney, who was, you know, uh one of the leads of the brand, and Anna Johnson from media and um I don't remember who else was in the room. And so walk into this room, and I just remember, like, there were some people, you know, Myra and and uh, Kiska from DDB who were sitting there, and I, I turned to them, and I was like, I'll learn your names later. Like, we'll do that part later. Just, like, what do you guys, what do you guys got? Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, so we have this idea for this, this print ad for the New York Times that would be to our beer drinkers, right, to, yeah. to leverage. And I, I, like, read it. I was like, great. Brilliant. Courtney. Courtney was like, yep, this is what I, I like it. This is what we should do. And so then I was like, cool, tomorrow. And I remember Anna <laughs> on the media team, who's the best, and 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 I, she was like, I'm sure we could get it for like Wednesday or Thursday. I was like, tomorrow. She was like, <laughs> she was like, understood. And like literally, you know, launched a piece of creative in my my first, you know, eight hours, first four hours of being on the job. And I remember getting home that night and like, you know, it was to the point where we we're trying to get into the to the the final deadline for the New York Times and like, you know, like I'm over Myra's shoulder being like, what can we say? What are we doing? You know, <laughs> and, and we we submitted it. And again, big kudos to the team who are the ones who were who are championing it. But and I remember getting home that night and like the adrenaline's pumping, you know, it's like going through your brain. And I came home, I said to my husband, I was like, ah, like, <laughs> you know, we just launched our first thing within like six hours. And then like I got back in bed, I was like, we just launched our first thing in six hours. Like what, you know, this uh. could be the shortest tenure of a CMO in the history of rock and roll if this goes bad. But luckily, you know, again, we had really great partners, really great team folks who knew what to do. And we created a plan. And um, I was so proud of how fast the team moved in that moment. And in some ways, honestly, a lot of the principles that we deployed those first few weeks about being clear about what we stand for as a brand, you know, doing things that were like punching back, getting talked about. We launched this whole like tap handle on Coors Light, again with DDB, that uh, every time their ad, because they kept running the ad, would come on um, on TV, mm-hmm. the light would turn blue on the handle and then we'd buy people a round of beers and we kept saying like nobody wants to hear about these ingredients they just want to drink a beer so like mm. we kept we're, let's refresh the situation mm-hmm, refresh mm-hmm. the conversation um, and then we you know we finalized with this great spot in in March Madness that year and and to me what was awesome about it even though it was like the craziest thing I probably 
may ever go through in my life. In many ways, a lot of the principles that came together during those moments, they became the foundations of how we were going to operate as a marketing team moving forward. So the whole concept of fast, messy, awesome Mm -hmm. (laughs) is fast, it's going to be messy, but hopefully we get to awesome, right? And I think that those first couple of months were that in spades. And in some ways, I think it probably like shifted the agenda. In Like it was like it microwaved it so that it could go even faster. So we started living and breathing that mantra, you know, every single day. But it was like a heck of a day one, heck of a day one. Um, and at the time, I was like, this is insane. Um, and looking back, I think it was the coolest thing that I probably have ever been part of in my career. Wow. That, wow, day that, one. Whew, whew. Oh, okay. So that we're gonna we're gonna end the podcast right here on a great, great, great story. Uh, thank you very much, MSJ, for flying in and doing the thing and doing the thing. Getting no sleep but doing this. And uh yeah, no, the karaoke uh did not affect uh, today, so so I'll live to Chumbawamba again. You will live to Chumbawamba again. <laughs> uh, okay, well, thank you very. Thanks, Aaron. Very much. It was okay. a lot of fun as always. Okay, and this has been another episode of It's Only Fucking Advertising. It's only fucking advertising. Okay, so that was pure joy uh, for me talking with Michelle. I hope you found the chat as fun and inspiring as I found it. I mean, you gotta you gotta wear your pink bunny slippers or whatever that thing is for you. I, I find anyone who I have on this show, they stay true to who they are. So embrace whatever it is that makes you you. Even if the role you're in is historically known for certain personality types or certain behaviors. Okay. So what's next on IOFA? We are uh, back in NYC in a few weeks to talk to a guest I'm uh, not allowed to mention yet, but very excited about that. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of It's Only Fucking Advertising. It's Only Fucking Advertising.